Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. And we've got ourselves our Daniel Jones year in review. New York Giants starting quarterback year in review. Maybe we'll we'll touch up on old Glennon and Fromm at the end. It's Combine Week. we got three episodes, so we're doing this today to start off your week. Wednesday, we're going to react to pressers and talk with Zach Rosenblatt. And then Friday, is going to be like a real, real Combine roundup. But we're going to be covering on all types of socials and stuff. Justin, how are you feeling? Uh, on this, we're recording on a Sunday evening for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Hey, Bobby Skinner. Um, NASCAR's back, by the way. Um, if you're not into it, I suggest you give it a shot. If you haven't been into it, like I have been the last couple years, I've been in, I've been really in and out of it. I'm back in. The new car is awesome. My Sundays are all about racing. We're recording when NHRA is happening. I'm recording that. I'm going to watch it while I edit the show. Yes. Excited for combine week. Um, we may be talking to some people that are definitely a lot smarter than I am with draft stuff. I think by the time that we record Thursday night for Friday's show for the Combine, I think quarterbacks are going to be throwing? Question mark? I'm not sure, but yeah, I feel like the QBs throwing at the Combine is a little over. I, I, I'm really looking at measurables and and speed timing. For our O-line, D-line, I want to look at your you know your 20-yard shuttle. For, you know, the receivers, corners, I, w- I do want to see your 40 time. I do think it matters, you know, where we used to be of the mindset of, I used to be the mindset like, oh, combine doesn't matter. It's like, no, I do think the combine helps evaluate players, especially yeah. with like, all right, let's see what this guy's long speed really is. Obviously, there's better player tracking data like that, you know, the NFL teams have. But I do think the combine matters. I don't think it should change someone's stock drastically, but I think it does help like differentiate guys. Yeah, provide context. So by the time that we have Friday's show, we will have measurements, bench press, on-field workouts. So basically for tight ends, QBs, and wideouts, their their complete combine experience will be done. And then for uh, Monday or Tuesday, you know, probably Tuesday's show the next week, everybody else's combine experience and everybody else's combine drills will have that in the docket as well. So big week, excited, and um, let's get to the show. Let's get to the show. Before we get into the show, this episode is brought to you by Sean Castor and Patrick Derizo. Derizo, Derulo. Justin, who are these people? Real quick, before we get into the Daniel Jones year in review. These wonderful individual people of the universe went to patreon.com slash talking giants. $2 a month plus some other tiers. You can get access and hang out while we record the shows live. You can chat with us. Bobby Skinner will send you some stickers, magnets in the mail. And twice a month, you can be entered into shirt raffles. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants. Thanks to our patrons. Also, really cool perk, by the way, cool perk, by the way, that I've been uh, subscribing to is uh, the Twitter account where Bobby Skinner will post some of his draft evals and his notes before maybe he'll record a film breakdown or before he tweets about it. And I I found that to be very helpful and very cool. And I'm even putting it on Google Docs now to um, make my because my my handwriting's not legible. Even though the draft guide will stay as paper, I'm going to have a, a a digital version of it too. I'm like Joe Shane upgrading the chance. All right, let's talk into about this Daniel Jones year in review. Um, it's tough. 
Uh, he turns 25 this offseason, entering year four, Justin. And he's entering year four with his third head coach, technically with his fourth offensive coordinator. At the moment, the year five option looming, which we can talk about, but I think we're both, like, I think it's, the, it's a no-brainer to decline that with Daniel Jones. And we said coming into year three with Daniel Jones, nuance does not matter as much because of the timeline. Because of the clock. So we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to break down Daniel Jones and what went right, what went wrong, what were the outside uh, contributing factors, what are the things that were like solely on him. But that kind of stuff doesn't matter as much in year four because of what we just mentioned before, that year five option. And it was a weird year. It kind of started good and it went downhill for Daniel Jones as the year started. You know, weeks one through four, I think everyone felt great about him. There's articles being written about how he's taken a step forward. He's the guy, you know, not just by Giants people, by people around the league are saying, like, it's time to start respecting Daniel Jones. Andrew Thomas goes out, and he has a pretty good stretch with a bad game mixed in there versus the Rams. Uh, but but if you if you look at that stretch, it's like, okay, pretty good. You know, I think they went three and two uh, in that stretch. You know, they beat the Panthers. They beat the Raiders. Um Maybe maybe it was maybe it was two and three. Uh, yeah, Chiefs game was thrown in there, so yeah, yeah, the they should have won game, that game. The Rams game was the bad game that was was in there. Um, the Chiefs game was pretty bad, but not as the bad. The Chiefs as game was makes one really bad throw, and the rest of the game was fine. Yeah, and then and then the then the last two games were really bad. The Bucks game on Monday Night Football, and then we got a dub, but the Eagles game. Uh, which was he ended up eventually getting hurt so bad. So it went downhill for Daniel Jones, you know, whereas it was probably a little bit more different conversation if it went the opposite trajectory. But that's the way the game goes. Injured again. That's another thing we got to talk about with Daniel Jones. And it's, it's a very, like, he's been injured every single year. Essentially, four years in a row, he's been injured. You know, he got injured his last year at Duke, missed a couple games. Mm. So there's been four years in a row where Daniel Jones has missed football games due to injury. So. I think big picture with Daniel Jones right now, no one can say that he's the guy. Now there's like John Mayer said, they've done like they've done everything in their power to screw this kid up, which is very true. But at the same time, we're heading into year four with Daniel Jones. He hasn't proven to be the guy. If you if you do believe he's the guy, it's on faith. You know, there's not much of substance there to go off with Daniel Jones. He hasn't shown enough. But he's also going into a year where we think the offensive system is going to be a lot better. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, on most likely on an expiring deal for Daniel Jones. Can I talk about and can we talk about what Daniel Jones does well to start and then we can move forward from there? Yeah, but I just kind of want to talk about like the situation with Daniel Jones, you know, because okay. I feel like I the mean, conversation is more situational based than just player about. What is there to talk about situationally? I mean, you, you already kind of just touched on it with you're going to decline the fifth year option. And, Bobby, I just can't see a scenario where where this guy's going to be franchised. I mean, that would require a playoff appearance. Really. Like, a, a playoff appearance with Daniel Jones as quarterback, where also he doesn't miss any football games. You know, that that is the only... The, the situation with Daniel Jones, past 2022... 20, that would have to be it, and that would have to be the result this year, and I think that's, you know, very, very unlikely. It's a bad situation, and we've talked at nauseating length about Jason Garrett and, you know, that system, and so here's what I want to talk about what he does well, and this is how it relates to Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett said 
at the start of the 2020 season, you know, one of his main goals of with working with Daniel Jones was reducing the turnovers and basically just, you know, making him a safer, like make Daniel Jones a safer quarterback with the ball in his hands, taking less sacks, fumbling less, bringing down the fumbles this year. Daniel Jones had a very, very big year three jump in this specific category. And this is what I think he does very, very well right now. And why I'm talking about this is because what he does very, very well, it's limited. And <laughs> it's not maybe the thing that you want to be very, very great. It's great that he does well in this, but what does it actually mean and how does it bring value in production? So he did he did a great job this year, take care of the football. And avoiding pressure while also getting much better at throwing under pressure, where 2020, he was really bad throwing under pressure. When he was blitzed this year, and and when he was throwing under pressure this year, he was much better than what he was um, in, in 2020. So so good for him. And even holding on to the ball after 2.6 seconds. I feel like in the NFL, it's that 2.5 second mark. You know, Most likely, your first read isn't going to be there after 2.5 seconds, so then what do you do with the ball? Do you panic, or are you able to go through your progressions extend the play, et cetera, et cetera. So Jones was much better after that two and a half second mark. So that's even something that's good for him too. His pressure rate was the lowest of his entire career this year. He almost cut his sack rate in half compared to 2020. Jones also cut his sack rate almost in half when facing the blitz. Jones did a much better job of manipulating the pocket this year and avoiding those negative plays when it comes to getting sacked and then also turning the ball over, whether it is throwing the ball or fumbling the ball. That was Daniel Jones's big year three jump, and that's not great. Yeah, and, and well, since we're talking about like pocket manipulation and stuff, that was something that I thought was his biggest flaw after his rookie year, more so than fumbles, because it's fumbles are kind of a hard thing to to talk about. But it was it was like pocket manipulation, and that's why you know after the quarter way of the season and we beat the Saints and you're feeling good about Daniel Jones he's put together a really good four game stretch to start the season even though the Giants record sucked um and it was so frustrating at that moment of the season like Daniel Jones is balling right now and we're one and three but with Andrew Thomas at left tackle it was the most correlated player to Daniel Jones success more than Kenny Galladay more than Kadarius Tony more than Sterling Shepard who he had a really good connection with uh was Andrew Thomas because once he had that blindside protector it's like okay he can he manipulates the pocket a lot better when his left guard through right tackle screwing up because left guard through right tackle were atrocious for him. You know, like, like got an atrocious play out of his left guard through the right tackle spot. And, uh, like you said, brought down his sack rate, brought down his pressure rate because he was able to avoid the stuff and trust Andrew Thomas. Yeah. And then once, when Andrew Thomas went down, that's when like the offense started struggling, like struggling mightily. Um, and then you get two games with him back, uh, versus Tampa and Philly. And those are arguably, uh, you know those. You know the the Bucks game might be his worst. That or the Rams game. You know those are the two that could be argued for the worst games. And then the Eagles game was just it wasn't terrible, but it was it was like a it wasn't a good game for Daniel Jones. Like there was throws left out on the field by Daniel Jones in that Eagles game. Yeah, and here's what it boils down to. I mean, again, you want to have a situational conversation. Um, it boils down to 21 touchdown passes in his last 809 pass attempts these last two years. I hate to get that kind of simple, that kind of black and white about it, but you know, you said that Daniel Jones was balling towards the the first part of the season. Yeah, I mean, quarterback play, you're you know, he was he was balling, but capped in an offense where 
they didn't score 30 points during the last two years. You know, during the last 32 games, the last two years, they haven't scored, you know, over 30 points. And, you know, the best game of the season, the Saints, it took the Giants five quarters, basically almost five quarters, to really get that win and to add that extra touchdown on the board that they really needed to seal that game. So it's I mean they had a dominant game versus Washington too. And you don't and again, you don't reach 30 points. You don't reach 30 points. Now, obviously, Darius Slayton drops a touchdown, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of what-ifs. So, you know, two things can be true. Jason Garrett and the Giants offense since 2019, since the end of the 2019 season, they have not given Daniel Jones the chance to be successful. And it also can be true that Daniel Jones has not done enough himself to say that he is a franchise quarterback. Both things are very, very true right now. Okay, so let's look at the Giants. And I know this is a 2021 review, but let's look at 2022. They bring in Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. We're all excited about those hires, right? Yes. The team is rebuilding. But let's look at the offense is going to be better. Like, they're going to add help on the offensive line. Like, the the the, the only loss from the offense really is Sterling Shepard. Like, what position is going to be downgraded except for Sterling Shepard? I, I don't know. Maybe tight end, but... Tight end, they weren't. The problem is, is that we're talking they didn't get about production out of the tight end group this year. And you know, my whole problem with saying that the Giants' offense is inevitably going to be better than what it was in 2021, where it, it is going to, Bobby. I mean, now it has to. But we were saying the same thing about the 2020 season. But and it no- was better though. <laughs> Until was Daniel it? Jones went down, her. I mean, they were like a top ten, like top ten to twelve passing team in the NFL. But again, yards don't matter. Like yard, yards really don't matter. The Giants were a top ten, you know, top half the league yards per game offense in the National Football League, but they were still bottom, you know, bottom half in scoring. It's about scoring points, and they just did not do that. And Daniel Jones didn't do it. And again, it's not necessarily his fault. It's just the reality. Of, it's just the reality of what what he's done or what he hasn't okay. done. So we're gonna have an what we would assume is going to be an exponentially better scheme. And this is where I'm getting at this better players. What happens if Daniel Jones is like, I don't, what if he's just kind of like good? Like, is that like, what happens then? You know, like not, not like great. Not like, Oh my gosh, this is the guy. Let's get him a contract. Like, I think that's the situation where you do end up tagging him. Like, I feel like that's where like, if he ends up in that Kirk cousins, like, like area. Do you want to be a team that is stuck with the Kirk Cousins, though? No, but that's what I'm saying. What like that's that like that's a weird spot to be in for the New York Giants. I just don't see everything being that good where we're going to be convinced that yeah, this is what we need. This I can't see it right now. Doesn't mean that it can't happen. I can't see that reality happening and playing out in my brain. I've I've reached a weird point with Daniel Jones, Bobby, where I love him. Well, where do you I feel am, about his 2021 season? Like, do you like? Do you feel horrible about it? Or are you like, yeah, like? I'm just, I'm, I'm deflated. I'm deflated. I have reached the point that a lot of people reached after the 2020 season, where just haven't seen enough. I where I you just haven't seen enough, and he's not the guy. You know, he has not. You know that that stupid phrase. He has not made it happen. And after you know 2019. There's a lot of good talking points on the, well, there's a lot of nuance about the turnovers, but then there's the big plays and there was something really to, to build off of 2020 legitimate gripes with scheme and legitimate gripes with, Hey, you know, they didn't throw the ball down the field, which you want to talk about not throwing the ball down the field. We thought he didn't throw it enough in 2020. I mean, we got to look at these 2021 numbers too, but as deep passing attempts, if you want to do that, 
Um, you know, there was legitimate gripes there, and there was nuance. Year three, there's always nuance when you're talking about quarterback play. There's always nuance when you're talking about football. But with Daniel Jones, I'm just deflated. I'm deflated when talking about why he does deserve a chance, why he doesn't deserve a chance. Well, he doesn't deserve anything at this point. I, like I, if- but you know, you understand what I'm saying, though. I'm defla- like, how do we? How do you feel about Daniel Jones? I'm deflated when trying to give you an answer. Yeah, I mean, the the Giants are in a situation with Daniel Jones right now. If they, if they were to fall in love with the QB in this draft, and I know uh, Mel Kuyper and friends haven't yet, so most fans haven't, but if they were to fall in love with the QB, like there'd be no reason not to pick that QB. You know, like that's the situation that they're in with Daniel Jones, I think. And I think that's a, that's actually a question I would like someone on the beat to ask, and maybe I'll tweet it out. It was like, hey, with Daniel Jones, like I know you guys want to give him a shot, but if there's a QB you guys fall in love with in this draft process, will you draft him? You know, obviously the sidestep, but I feel like that's a good that I feel like that's a good way to gauge where Joe Shane yeah. and Brian Day will fit, f- feel about Daniel Jones. Because right now it seems like they don't feel about that about any QB, so they're okay rolling with Daniel Jones. But I would love to know their thoughts if they were if there was a Josh Allen that they if they thought there was a Josh Allen in this draft. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because you know, again, it's, it's what's gonna. What's gonna happen? What's gonna ha- tell the story on Daniel Jones is the action. Um, now, the ultimate sign of faith would be picking up the option, but that's just that would be bad business at this point to pick up the option on Daniel Jones. We were talking about scheme, right? Well, let's let's talk about. The, I want to I want to quiz you. Passing. Thing. I want to quit. I want to quiz you something quick. Then we can go to the deep passing stuff. I want to quiz you. The PFF QB annual. I love it. I, I I think they do a great job with gathering that data. It's not just grades. It's really good stuff. The three most common routes Daniel Jones targeted this past year. Can you name them? A curl. A hitch. Yes, that is number one. 18% of the time and a passer rating of 61.8. The most common route that Daniel Jones targeted had a passer rating of 61.8. Awesome. Go Jason Garrett. Next. Um... If he stayed more with Freddie Kitchens, I would say slant. Slant, number three, 10%, 97.4 passer rating. Freddie Kitchens love slant flats. And I'm going to say a, just a go I guess a go ball would be because that's no, just think, like a think more, towards the sideline. Think towards the sideline. Just a speed out? Out route. Yep. Out route, 14%, 82.6 rating. So those were the three most common. Routes that Daniel Jones would target from the year 2021. Love God, that the most common that. route target had a 61.8 passer rating. You would think right. the most common tar- route target would actually work. Well, and that's what's the most frustrating thing about Dan- Dan- the Daniel Jones conversation right now. You know, and injury has like injury is like one of his biggest knocks on him. But remember, go back listen to our Justin. Listen to our Jason Garrett was fired episode. And like you hear about the excitement in our voices, and we got one game, and he got hurt on the second play of it. Like he has one healthy play, not under Jason Garrett on a short week. Like it's so frustrating. And we liked some of the scheme stuff from that game, and that was a game where Daniel Jones missed some throws. Yeah. You know, like he left plays out on the field, and that's that was always my challenge to people when talking about the Daniel Jones touchdowns. Um, you know, like my film my film reviews after each game, I'd be like, hey, let's talk about the touchdowns. Show me the ones he's missing. Show, show me where a play could have been a touchdown and Daniel Jones didn't hit it. Because really the only one that sticks out in my the Buccaneers, mind right? was the Bucks to Kenny yeah. Galladay over the middle. There was one other play versus the Panthers where it was four verts 
where it's like he might have been able to get Ingram on this, but it also could have been a strip sack, you know, whereas like, in fact, it most likely would have been a strip sack. Um, and that was with, you know, Matt Parrott left tackle. Um, so that's what's the most frustrating thing about Daniel Jones is like, I like, like you, I want to move off Daniel Jones. Like I said, going into, going into year three, it was like, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, if it's not there, it's time to move off. But it is frustrating that, you know, the consensus is that this was the worst scheme in the NFL and that Joe Judge, who's a, Joe Judge, who's a conservative offensive mind, fired Jason Garrett after, on, after a Monday night football game following a bye week and was fighting to do that beforehand. Like that's how broken the system was. And that's, you know, and that's with maybe decent wide receiver talent around him and bad, like, like, putrid offensive line for a four-week stretch when Andrew Thomas was hurt. Yeah. The injury is the thing that really makes me dejected, you know, and the fact that it's like, oh, you know, Daniel Jones in 2020, the offense actually was starting to kind of get rolling, at least on an EPA basis, where, you know, leading up to that Cincinnati Bengals game where they had a, that offense kind of had a somewhat of a decent game. Wayne, big plays by Evan Ingram. Wayne Gallman caps off these one-yard touchdowns. And, you know, there was a little bit of nuance in 2020 where Wayne Gallman got a lot of these one-yard touchdowns, but it's big Daniel Jones plays that are kind of leading them inside the red zone. Daniel Jones' 80-yard run leads to a Wayne Gallman touchdown. They did wind up losing that game. So, again, there was nuance in 2020, but the, uh, the injury in 2020 kills any momentum that Daniel Jones had. Injury, Jason Garrett fired. Daniel Jones hurt. Kills any possible momentum that Daniel Jones could have picked up with Freddie Kitchens. It's, it's just deflating when talking about Daniel Jones because it's a guy that you want to root for but hasn't given you a reason to believe. And I think that's almost the perfect way to put it. And I think that's where I think that's the, the frustrations of what Daniel Jones is right now. An average QB. He's average. Like he's yeah. an, he's he's like if you would rank him, he'd be somewhere from between like sixteen to twenty. You know, yeah, in fact, I, you know, I, we I, did we, our QB rankings, you know, for uh Wake and Jake. Wake and Jake, I had him twenty one. Yeah, I think I had him either twenty or twenty one. I think you had him twentieth, yeah. You know. Which is a is a frustrating spot to be, yeah. you know. All right, it's you, like, I want to ask you this one thing um, before we get to the deep ball numbers, because you were talking about touchdowns that are left on the table. Typically, you leave touchdowns on the table when you approach the red zone, right? Because that's when you're closest to the end zone. Yes. So red zone struggles this year. It was bad, very bad, and I think uh, you know numbers definitely do match the eye test on how on how bad it was. No interceptions in the red zone this year. That is something that I found to be significant. Uh, no interceptions really? in the red zone, but accuracy was an issue, at least in the eyes of you know PFF and their QB annual. 55% on target rate in 2021 in the red zone versus 2019 and 2020, he was 67% to 70% on target rate inside the red zone. His sack rate, fades. His, which I want, I'm going to talk to you about. There's always nuance to numbers. There's nuance to everything. His sack rate inside the red zone is something that's also significant. It was almost eight times more in 2021 than it was in 2020. So his sack rate was extremely high inside the red zone this year. So talk to me about what you saw film-wise. He can't throw the fade. Yeah. And they tried to do that, <laughs> you know, which was I, – I hate the fade regardless, even if you do have, like, a great fade thrower um, in the end zone. Like, I think, you know – it's it's well documented how like low percent of a of a successful player that is, and he he couldn't throw that, and you know just a mindset of the Giants and when they're at the twenty five yard line to get to the fifth to get to the fourteen yard line instead of getting in the end zone, like a lot touchdowns a lot of times are coming between the fifteen to twenty five yard line, 
you know, Peyton Manning talked about that on the Monday Night Football uh, telecast that he would do with Eli. Yeah. And he talked about it all the, all the time, where you're at the 15, you're at the 20, you're at the 10. He His mind is, and this is Peyton Manning, pretty good quarterback, he's looking to the end zone. He's not looking to pick up a first down. He's looking to get into the end zone. And every time that he would talk about that, and he harped on that kind of frequently, you know, when he was on, you know, the call with Eli, I thought of the Giants. Be like, uh, that's not exactly what we do. Yeah, and that, that was... And that that's why it's so frustrating is because with Daniel Jones, you saw some, you saw a promise from his rookie season. And then you got two, three years where it's like X, here's a good game here. Here's a bad game here. You know, just kind of average QB play, but it's average QB play with not the best surroundings talent wise and the worst surroundings coordinator, you know, play caller wise, like the worst, the worst surroundings coordinator wise, like Jason Garrett still can't get a job, you know, um, and then that's with bad offensive line. And you saw him like get better, like stuff like pocket manipulation, like you mentioned. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't simply just because of that wasn't because of running Jason Garrett's offense, by the way. Because he had a higher sack rate in his second year with Jason Garrett than he did his rookie year with Pat Shermer. So that kind of eliminates the oh, they stopped going deep because of that. And let's talk about like the deep ball attempts. And this let's is scheme. It. Let's let's think back to our wide receiver review we talked about on Friday. It's like why didn't Kenny Galladay get those contested looks on the sideline? Because this offense was based off of a pre-snap read. Pre-snap, pick a side, see where the safety is lined up, and then you're making a read off of one, maybe two players. So if they're cushioning against Kenny Galladay or the pressing against Galladay and the safety of the top, that stopped that stuff. Let's look at deep uh, passing attempts. In 2019 with Daniels, he had 4.2 per game. In 2020, 2.9. That's a pretty good drop-off. That's not enough. In 2021, it went down to 2.1. So in 2021, he was throwing the ball deep. That's half the amount. Half the amount. And that was with Darius Slayton as his number one wide receiver. That was with Cody Latimer being his number two wide receiver at times. You know, with Shepard missing a ton of games. You know, like that's unreal. And that number is going to change with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. Now, will he have success with it? That's left to be uh, told. And then his deep passing stats, he went eight for 23 which is a 35% completion percentage, which is kind of average down obviously from his 2020 year where he did it the best in the, the most efficient in the NFL, 14.7 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, and then one interception, which was Sterling Shepard slipping versus the Rams. Uh, so again, completed 50% in 2020, 33% in 2019. It's, but his, 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 the per game number is disgusting. And that's like, that's not Daniel Jones because we saw when he had someone who believed him in Sherman and wanted him to battle through his struggles the way that a Brian Dable wanted his QB to battle through his struggles in Buffalo. Like, they literally cut it in half, Justin. That's yeah. insane that from year one to year three, they cut it in half. And Daniel Jones in 2021 took about 50% less deep shots than the average quarterback in the National Football League. So if you take the average out of the entire NFL, cut that in half. <laughs> Of, of the deep passing attempts that he had. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are screaming as they're listening or as they're watching, they're screaming at the screen, screaming at the phone, but the offensive line. You can't take the deep shots when you have the bad offensive line. Talk to me about that. Well, like I said before, 2020 had a higher sack rate for Daniel Jones in 2019. And guess what? The offensive line still hampered them with the shorter concepts. Because guess what? You know what it's harder to do, Justin? When you have a bad offensive line, it's hard to gain, gain these long drives because the offensive line is going to screw something up at some point. Somebody. It, that's It's hard for any team to sustain long drives, let alone a bad football team. 
And again, <laughs> you, they drafted this guy. They drafted this quarterback. So I was like, you have to put some faith in him at some point to do this. And if not, just move on. You know, like if if they, you know, I hate to say they're like, oh, they should have drafted a QB. Like, then you should have drafted a QB. It's and also just, not sign Kenny Galladay. If you're, if you're so scared of this offensive line, then why sign Kenny Galladay? In a, in a year where they signed Kenny Galladay, you have, bam, 20, bam, bam. you have 23 pass attempts. PFF has 24 pass attempts of 20-plus yards. Took away the Hail Mary. Took away the Hail Mary. There you go. So eight for so eight for twenty three. Daniel Jones was uh this year, in a year where you signed Kenny Galladay and supposedly you game plan everything because you're so scared of your offensive line, you have twenty three deep passing attempts with your quarterback that you drafted in the top ten. Come on, why? It, everything is just so ass backwards. So ass backwards. You take five steps forward in signing Kenny Galladay, but you take ten steps back in how you plan to utilize him because you're scared of your own screw-up in not addressing the offensive line. And that's what's frustrating and where John Mayer's like comment at the end of the season was kind of sobering where he's like, We've done everything in our power to screw this kid up. You know, which is true. Now, does that doesn't make keeping the franchise QB, you know? Two things can be true. Like, they've done everything to screw Daniel Jones and he's not the franchise QB, which is, I think, where most people lie at this point. And that's where I lie at this point, you know? If he comes out and does it in year four, awesome. Awesome. Like, I would love that. I'd welcome that more than anyone. Like, I, I believed in Daniel Jones. I, lo- I loved him as a draft pick, even though a lot of people didn't. Um, like, I would, I would welcome that. I would welcome that tough decision. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. Before we get into more of this Daniel Jones stuff, today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. Live events are back, which means you can get $20 off tickets at SeatGeek with promo code GIANTS. Use promo code GIANTS. If you don't know what SeatGeek is, one, are you an idiot? Two, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. We've got the apps on our phones. Like I, I use it all the time. I use it this. Uh, I use it last weekend to go to the NASCAR race. I was using it a crap ton recently. Because I'm going to give you a little tip right now. Buy Yankee tickets, buy baseball tickets before they announce that a season's happening. Now, I don't know when a season's happening. I know that there is going to be one. It's not. It would just not. It would not be smart for baseball to not have a season. But look for games in June and July. They're like dirt cheap right now. Get a couple for your friends. Make sure that you know you're using an email. You're using an account where you have you know where you're signing up for SeatGeek. Put in promo code Giants, and you'll almost get your tickets for free. I'm serious. Like, there are baseball tickets that are going good seats for $10 right now. Buy a couple. Yes, at Yankee Stadium right now. Wow. Like, where I sit, section 422, which is behind home plate, but all the way up, because I can see the whole field, but I I still like to see how a pitcher's pitching and if it's a ball or a strike. 422, there are some mid, you know, even weekend games, they're going for like $7. So, make sure you're using an email that's new. Sign up for SeatGeek, promo code Giants at checkout, $20 off. You will almost get your entire order free. That's crazy. I'm We're going to a Yankees game this year. Like, I'm going to my first Yankees game in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, you're going to be up, uh, I hope, at least I hope you're up for a little bit longer than a couple days for training camp this year. Oh, yeah. It'll probably be like so. a two, maybe two, two, maybe three weeks. We'll see. Um, you know, my Airbnb, the whole damn thing. SeatGeek rates every ticket from zero to 10 to make sure you are getting a good deal. Green means good, red means bad. Even an idiot can understand that. Every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their buyer guarantee, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Don't worry, we've got the hookup. Use code GIANTS for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20, $20 
off your first purchase with promo code Giants. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app. Code Giants for $20 off your first SeatGeek order. All right. Let's get back on this Daniel Jones discussion. Um, Where do you want to go? I don't know where to like. It's the most like like last year with Daniel Jones, we talked a lot about scheme and the deep ball efficiency and and like the stuff that was built off from rookie year. Like you said, like they're in this kind of limbo with him. Like you're on like the. It seems like you are totally on like there's zero chance this guy is the QB in 2023. Almost, I'm closer to saying that there is zero percent chance than. Anything else? Yeah. Should we do the fake, like, make up a percentage uh, of what we think game? Oh, which, an over though, under? Like, um, no, like a percent. Like, what percent do you think that Daniel Jones is the D- Giants starting QB in 2023? Wow. 25%. That's maybe too high. Because that means. I was going to say that from what you're saying, that seems too high. Because I was going to say 25%. All right, then bump me down to 10. Okay. So like a, a one, yeah. That makes sense. It's- one out of every 10 possible outcomes of the 2022 season, Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback in 2023. Yeah. And and he's a quarterback who has a good arm, not a great arm. You know, um, I think his overall accuracy is probably his best, like, like stand, like strength. You know, like something we talked about at the, our, our bi-week episode with It's uh, also sometimes his biggest fault because when you have a wide receiver like Kenny Galladay you don't need to have pinpoint perfect ball placement and that is so so it's working to a fault at times too yeah he kind of needs to build that Golden Tate relationship with Kenny Galladay where with Golden Tate him and him they those two had a good connection on deep balls it's like he kind of put those in those places where Golden Tate was able to make a play on them like how many times did we have like a a Golden Tate contested catch because like Daniel Jones is putting in the right spot for Golden Tate to box the guy out and make a play. Like he's kind of he's got to gain that relationship with Kenny Galladay, but he has to be in an offense, Justin, with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, which we've talked about on on those guys you know episodes when they are hired. That isn't afraid that when you got the one on one, you're throwing it, and then sometimes in double coverage, you're going to throw it. You're going to try and needle those throws in. You're going to try and throw in the soft spot of a cover two zone on the sideline. Like you're going to throw in the hole uh, instead of pr- all pre snap. A timing offense. We have an offense that allows second windows to get open. And, f- and you have the players for that. Really, the only player who fit Jason Garrett wise was Sterling Shepard. Like he was he was really the only one. And that was just more of a testament of Sterling Shepard and less of like a, a testament to Jason Garrett. Sterling Shepard was still that high catch rate guy with uh Pat Shermer in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Like, you know, not a, like they though and I thought those guys hided hid some blemishes of the Jason Garrett's offense. So it's again. I mean, let's go through Daniel Jones' season through one, week one through four. We're fe- everyone's feeling great about Daniel Jones, right? Yes. Let's now let's go through weeks five through nine. You got the game versus the Cowboys. He gets hurt, so that's kind of like a no game. The Rams, the Rams game bad, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, uh, and then the Panthers game, which was a really good game. The Chiefs game which he had that really bad throw to start the game, but overall was all right. And then the Raiders game where it was kind of an average game. So you've, so if you put together those two things together at the bye week for Daniel Jones, 
I think most people felt like pretty good about Daniel Jones, right? Like I th- that was where the mindset of the, of the fan base was. You know, we talked about it even like with you know with Weiss and Ethan on our on our bye week episode. I think most people felt pretty good about Daniel Jones, unless you just hated him as a prospect, which a lot a lot of people did. And then you had the Bucks game, horrible. They fired Jason Garrett, and then they and then Freddie Kitchens comes in. He gets injured on the second play, but still left throws on the field, specifically specifically to Kenny Galladay in that game. Yeah, yeah. The injuries are the biggest black cloud, and just not being on the football field. But Again, it's a part of it. Like it's a, in, it's a, hard it's a thing huge to... part of it in moments where it absolutely does matter. And you know, kind of going back to the point that I said in the beginning, the Giants' offense twenty twenty is starting to gain momentum. Daniel Jones gets hurt; all momentum is wiped out. And any momentum that Daniel Jones could have grabbed under Freddie Kitchens, because that's what we were excited for. We were excited for. We were excited for a change. Just to know. Of, we were excited for a change at offensive coordinator since October, November of of twenty twenty, um, and. The second that we got it, we got it taken away from us, and that's it's it's on Daniel Jones's body. It's not really on him; it's just on his body. Yeah, and that those that was like okay. Now we're gonna figure out what Daniel Jones is. They're gonna turn. They're like they're going to change this offense. They didn't fire Jason Garrett to not change this offense. It's not going to be a totally new playbook, but they're gonna change. They're gonna start being more aggressive, and then he gets hurt, and then and then the offense. By the way, without Daniel Jones. You think about how bad, like, think about what the offense was before. It literally cut in half. It like, can't get yards, worse. The offense can't yards, get worse. Oh, yes, it can. Their passing yards cut in half. Their points per game cut in half. You know, they went from, like, 19 points per game to, like, eight and a half points per game. Well, it can't you know, get worse, Bob. They went from, like, 230 passing yards a game to 115 passing yards per game. So, it's like... That's what's so frustrating with uh, with Daniel Jones, and I know I've repeated this take probably twenty times, is that they have done everything to screw him, you know. And you say, "Oh, well, that was Mike Glennon." Look at Mike Glennon's career numbers; he had career lows in every single category. He did twice as good with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were the worst team in football in twenty twenty. Mike Glennon did twice as good with that roster, twice as good with that roster, with Colin Johnson being a part, uh, like a main target. He did twice as good with that roster, you know? So it's not simply just, oh, Mike Glennon is the worst backup QB ever, you know? Like, I think Mike Glennon with uh, Brian Dable, Mike Kafka offense looks a lot better than what he did. So Daniel Jones is going to look better with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. The question is how much better. If he looks, if he has 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, then you're in that Kirk Cousins harder to decide area. If he has... 19, 19, 20 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Then it's like, okay, well, it's time to move on. And then if he has like, you know, if, if obviously he plays really good, you, you franchise tag him. Um, but here's where I am. It's like, I'm kind of worried we're going to land in that second area, that middling area. And it's like, then what do you do with Daniel Jones? As a, like, are we going to be stuck with him in a middling QB? Or do they pull the trigger on a guy they love in the draft at some point? And that's- yeah, and the, and the main difference is, is that, when we're talking about guys like Kirk Cousins, um, I'm trying to think of another example of a middling quarterback. Well, think about someone who's in a similar Andy situation. Dalton. Let's say Andy. Andy Dalton. Let's say Joe Flacco. Does Tannehill fit in there? Tannehill. Does Dak fit in there? Yeah. No, d- no I, I don't. Yeah, you, maybe. Dak's had Dak a perfect I, situation, and, yeah. and, he, and he starts out hot and then gets kind of figured out and fizzles out every single year. So all of these quarterbacks fall under this criteria. That I that we just named, you know, Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, Prescott, Tannehill, Cousins, etc. All those teams either traded, like those regimes traded for those guys, 
or sign, drafted them or signed them or like gave them that extension, right? Joe Shane, Brian Dable, they did not trade for Daniel Jones, draft Daniel Jones. You know, that that is the one difference where we're like, oh, are we going to be in a Kirk Cousins situation? If we wind up in a Kirk Cousins situation, it's going to be because that they really want him and not because that, oh, they drafted this guy, they signed this guy, they traded for this guy, so therefore they have to keep him. And that is the main difference. Yeah, and I think that's why we're both in the idea that Daniel Jones won't be the starting QB in 2023. Yeah. You know. Um, If Joe Judge is is still here, then, again, I I know he didn't necessarily draft him, sign him, trade for him, but I'm more or less thinking that there is maybe that shot that Daniel Jones is still here. But because this is just all so new, uh, that's why I'm, like, down at that 10% range. Which is a weird place to be as a Giants fan. Like, when have we experienced that this guy's our starting QB, probably won't be the starting QB the the, the year after? The last year of Eli? You know, the second to last year of Eli? When uh when Kurt Warner was the week one starter <laughs> in 2004? <Yeah. laughs> Which is, it's just a, like, I'm not used to this as being a Giants fan of of this, like, unknown. I have some was- more stats. Um, to it, it doesn't relate to really anything, but I guess we're just looking to buy some time right now. Uh, Daniel Jones' top targets in key situations. And I'm going to quiz you. I, I, you. You did really good with the route concepts thing. So, who was the top target getter on the Giants when Daniel Jones was throwing under pressure this year? Is this in total? This is in total. Because this sucks because of injuries and stuff. <laughs> You're going to be surprised, though. Even with the injuries and stuff. Which gives you a big hint. Under pressure. Lead target getter. Is it Evan Ingram? No, it is Kadarius Tony with 14. Word. Daniel Jones' top target. That actually versus, makes sense now that I think about it. Versus the Blitz. I'm going to say Darius Slayton. Kadarius Tony with 20. Tony. Daniel Jones' top target on third down. That's Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard, 15. Daniel Jones' top target in the red zone. Evan Ingram. Sterling Shepard with nine. Isn't that sad? Isn't that it's really sad? It's sad that that's the amount. And it's, and it's, by the way, this is targets. I'm not talking about receptions. Sterling Shepard led the Giants in red zone targets <laughs> with nine. And we signed Kenny Galladay and Kyle Rudolph this offseason. Covered off. I don't even want to talk I about I will him. say that makes me feel good about Kadarius Tony because I am now envisioning Kadarius Tony taking that Sterling Shepard role of be again of being that slot reliable security blanket, except Kadarius Tony is more than just a security blanket because he is a take the top off of a defense player without actually taking the top off because he gets the yards after the catch. He can catch the ball in the intermediate part of the field and then, boom, get the explosive play that way. So it makes me feel good about Kadarius Toney, but it also makes me think to myself that Kadarius Toney does need to improve because Daniel Jones really does rely on his security blankets. Where we talk about explosive play after explosive play, we talk about how important that is in the game of football, and we talk about how bad the Giants have been in explosive plays the last two years. But the security blankets for Daniel Jones, like the Caden Smiths of the world, what he did in 2019, those types of players are very, very important for Daniel Jones' success because when Daniel Jones is operating at his best, 2019, Caden Smith is there, 
Sterling Shepard 2020 and 2021, early part of 2021. Those guys are there, and they are key parts. So Kadarius Toney is going to need to be that kind of player for Daniel Jones in 2022, except he can be a lot more, like I said, than just a security blanket. Right. All right, you got anything else? I mean, I, we've kind of hit on everything. Yeah. Um, do you think yeah. there's any chance that he's not the QB for 2022 to start the season? Um, what do you have to, with the back? Like, have you changed your opinion on backup QB? Do you think it's a, a something that you should no. bring in someone? I don't think I have either. Like, no. I know Mitchell Trubisky is the hot talking point, but I'm more in like, you know, I hate to steal from Dan Duggan, but he mentioned Trevor Simeon. You know, someone like him. Yeah. We don't have and cap space, unless and if, and if Dan if our back if our if we're using our backup QB we're screwed anyways. Correct, correct. Yeah, there was a good point that I had. I it might have been on a mailbag pod about backup quarterback where I talked myself into if you're a competitive team, then that should be the time to get a backup quarterback. But then yes. I even but then I even backtracked. No, but I backtracked, and there was a point that I made all the sense in the world where I said, no, screw it. Even if you're a competitive team, who cares about backup quarterback? I even like said that, um, and I and it made sense at the time. I disagree with that. It, well, you agreed not, with me at the time. No, it's not be about winning a Super Bowl. It's not about doing a Nick Foles, you know, Jeff Hosteller. It's about being able to get through a four-game stretch if your starting QB goes out. Yeah. No, but no, here was the argument. Oh, no, here was the argument. Here was the exact argument. A guy like Colt McCoy should be okay for a Super Bowl caliber competing team for a four-game stretch because the rest of your roster and scheme is good. Look that how much was better Colt McCoy looked than with the Arizona than he did with the Giants. The Giants, and that's the point where my my you know obviously for a four or five if you if you lost your starting quarterback for the season you are screwed. So that's what you know having like a Cam Newton on the bench or insert or Mitchell Trubisky insert really good backup quarterback. Well, if Mitchell Trubisky is not good either. If you know? you've lost, you're a backup quarterback for a reason. Like if you've lost your number one QB then I think you're kind of screwed. But for a four-week stretch, Mike Lennon shouldn't kill you. But if you have a bad team and if you have a bad scheme, then Mike Lennon is going to kill you. And that was my that was the exact point that I said. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I can see why teams would want to invest in something a little better. Yeah. You know, like a, a Jameis type backup or somebody. Yeah. No, but that's just my opinion. That's just what, what if I were, you know, if I were the GM. All right, that's an episode. We'll be back on Wednesday with Zach Rosenblatt talking. Uh, you know, recap the pressers, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll get into some more of the nitty gritty of the combine as well. So we do appreciate you guys. And uh, if there's one thing about this episode that's going to be controversial, because it's the quarterback, and that's that's the way it goes. It's a frustrating spot to be with Daniel Jones because I would like I would love to be in just heavy in one camp or the other, but I'm not, uh, and I kind of hate that because. Just it just sucks. Alright, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Wednesday. Until then, let's go big blue. <laughs>